0: Well, amen. We're going to mess around and have church in here on a Wednesday night. <laughs> so thankful that the Spirit of God is not hindered by the day of the week. And when we come together as the people of God expecting uh, to come into His presence, that's exactly what happens. And Thank you, brother, for that. What a blessing it is. I was just sitting back there thinking as we were singing that song that sin carries a lot of baggage. I mean a whole lot of baggage. The Scripture says that sin is the transgression of God's law. God is holy and His law is holy. And when we choose in our sinful nature and the sinful flesh to disobey what God has said, um, then we sin. And with that sin comes guilt and shame. Has anybody ever been there? You feel shameful and you feel guilt about where you once was and what you used to do. Can I say something to you? Listen to me, folks. Not only did Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin, but he shed his blood so that we can be free of the guilt and shame that comes with sin. When we've been redeemed, that's what exactly what it means. We've been bought back. We've been set free. Uh, we've been forgiven. What a blessing that is tonight. Thank you, brother, for that song. Bless my heart. Take your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter number 19. And I want to read to you starting in verse number 11, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter through verse number 21. Lord willing, we're going to finish with Revelation chapter 19 tonight. Um, so let's start there in the 11th verse. We'll read through this. I'm going to pray for you. Then we'll come back and look at three major points this evening. Look what it says. Verse number 11 tells us, And I saw heaven opened. Everybody say that. I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. How many of you understand this evening that everything Jesus does, he does in righteousness? Everything he does, he does from his Holy nature, He does right according to God's standard. And I want you to know tonight, the only standard that matters is God's. (laughs) He's the creator of the universe. He's the sovereign. He's the potentate. We'll see that this evening. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him... Upon white horses, clothed in white linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you believe Jesus tonight is faithful and true, say Amen. If you believe Jesus tonight is the Word of God, say amen. Amen. If you believe Jesus tonight is King of kings and Lord of lords, say amen. amen. These are three names that are given to us in Revelation chapter number 19. I can't wait to share with you what all that means in just a moment. Look at verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather yourselves together into the supper of our great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the, white, that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him and the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshiped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. All God's people say amen. Amen. Now look at verse 21. And the remnant which were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, uh, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much tonight for the truth of your word. Thank you for your presence that's in this place. Holy Spirit, without you, we can do nothing. Lord, without you, I want to do nothing. Lord, tonight, these people don't need to hear the words that I have to say. Lord, what they need to hear is the word you have for us straight from heaven. So I'm asking, Lord, that right now, Holy Spirit, you have your way and will in me. You fill me up and pour me out. You work on me, you work in me, and you work through me to accomplish your good will and purpose, we pray tonight. Lord, fill me up, pour me out, use me for your honor and your glory. Share with us your truth straight from your word. I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name and for your sake. Amen. Now, folks, I'm excited tonight to get to share with you the truth of what we see here in Revelation chapter number 19. And I'm excited because I get to share with you one of my favorite subjects, and that's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you understand that the second coming has been spoken about all throughout the pages of Scripture? I mean, from the Old Testament starting in Genesis all the way through the New Testament to the last book, uh, the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, it's spoken about over 1,800 times in the Word of God. 17 separate books in the Old Testament speak of the second coming of Jesus, and over 70% of the chapters in the New Testament speak. Of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. So, all throughout the Word of God, we see the second coming uh, being mentioned. And so, we can say tonight with full surety that, folks, the second coming is scriptural. Can you say amen to that? From the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, it has been promised that there's coming a time when the Lord is going to come back and set right what the enemy and sin and mankind has set wrong. And we see that tonight right here in Revelation chapter number 19. Now, when we talk about the second coming, that's exactly what we're talking about. The time when Jesus comes back for the second time to set foot upon planet earth and to carry out the will of his heavenly Father. Now, sometimes when you hear someone speak of the second coming, you'll hear them call it the second advent. Now that's the same thing. All in the word that Advent means is um, the arrival of a notable person. So when you hear someone say the second Advent of Jesus, they're talking about the second time that Jesus arrives upon planet Earth again to fulfill the will of the Father. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as the uh, as the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And I like that one. I like to use revelation of Jesus. Now let me tell you why it's called the revelation of Jesus when we're speaking about the second coming. It's through the second coming of the Lord Jesus that the glory of the glorified Christ will be revealed to all the earth, to all mankind throughout all time. And I'm going to be honest with you tonight. We'll see this in a minute, but I don't really know how that's going to take place. But the scripture says that's exactly what's going to happen. It will be revealed to all peoples from all time. He'll come, he'll uh, be revealed in all his glory, and he will destroy the enemies of God at the Battle of Armageddon, and that's what we're seeing here. Now, folks, let me say something to you. Uh, One major problem I see and I've had before in the study of prophecy, especially when I'm studying the book of Revelation, is um, confusing the rapture with the revelation. Confusing the rapture of the church with the revelation of the Lord Jesus, the second coming of the Lord Jesus, or the advent of the Lord Jesus. And folks, if we confuse those two things, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, revelation ain't going to make a whole lot of sense to you. And I can promise you this, Revelation 19 certainly is not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. And so tonight, I want to give you just a few things, and I'm going to list them for you, that um, we all need to think about when we're thinking about the rapture of the church, And the revelation of the Lord when he comes back in all his glory and power. So, if we're talking about the rapture and the revelation. When we speak of the rapture, first of all, listen to me. The rapture is about Jesus coming for His saints. The revelation is about Jesus coming with his saints. And I want you to know that is a big difference. In the rapture of the church, Jesus is fulfilling the promise he made in John 14 3. He told His disciples, He said, where I'm going, you can't come. He's about to go to the cross. He said, but I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. At the rapture of the church, Jesus will fulfill the promise made to the believers in John 14 verses 1 through 3. He's coming back to receive unto himself the saints, those who have placed their trust in him. In the revelation, according to what it says here in Revelation 19 uh, and, and verse number 14, that He's coming back with His saints. Those armies of heaven that are talking about there in the 14th verse, folks, that's the saints of God that's been raptured by the Lord Jesus at the beginning of the book of Revelation. We remember in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, The Bible speaks of the rapture of the church. And you don't see the church again from Revelation chapter 4 all the way through to what we see here in Revelation chapter number 19. Throughout those seven years of tribulation, the church is not mentioned. Let me tell you why. Because the church is in heaven. Amen? Amen. The church has already been raptured. Now why do I believe that the church will not see uh, the days of tribulation? Now I'm not going to say that the church won't see tribulation, but it's not going to see the great tribulation. Listen, it's going to see times of tribulation. It's going to see times of suffering and times of sorrow. We're seeing that even today, but we're not going to see the great tribulation, That uh, those seven years of tribulation during the end times that we've been studying about on the pages of Scripture. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, and turn with me over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. I want to read something to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And let's look down at verse number 9. Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 9. The, the scripture says, for God hath not appointed us. Now, when the apostle Paul here s- says the word us, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the saints. He's speaking to the church, those who have been bloodbought, the believers. He says, God has not appointed us or the church to wrath. Now, folks, what does uh, Revelation outline for us? We've talked about this several times. It outlines for us the wrath of a holy God being poured out on an unrepentant, unbelieving world. As a matter of fact, we have looked and we said we saw 21 separate judgments throughout the book of Revelation outlining for us the time of tribulation that's going to happen upon planet Earth. Now, the Bible says God has not appointed us or the church to wrath. As a matter of fact, it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9, we have been saved from God's wrath through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. So I do not believe the church will go through the time of tribulation that we've been studying about. I believe the rapture happens before tribulation starts and then after tribulation, we see the revelation. All right? They're two separate events. He goes on and says right here in the ninth verse, but to obtain salvation. By our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know we've been saved from God's wrath through the blood of the Lord Jesus, all you who've trusted in Him as your personal Savior? So in the rapture, Jesus is coming for His saints. He's fulfilling the promise made in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Now, in the revelation, uh, we know that Jesus is coming with His saints. In the rapture, Jesus, or excuse me, The church meets Jesus in the air. Do you remember that? The scripture told us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that there's going to be a uh, blowing of the trumpet at the sound of the trumpet, the dead in Christ going to rise first. Then those that are alive and remain will be called up together to meet him in the air. And the word rapture, we've said before we studied this, means to be caught up. And so um, in the rapture, we're going to meet Jesus in the air. In the revelation, when Jesus comes back um, and, and, and sets foot upon planet Earth, that's exactly what's going to happen. He's coming to set foot. On the Mount of Olives. It's a big difference. According to Scripture. Let me give you another one. This is a big one. In the rapture, Jesus comes with blessing in mind. In the revelation... judgment in mind. Now why is that? Who's he dealing with in the rapture? He's dealing with his children. He's dealing with those who've placed their trust in him. He's dealing with the church. And so when he comes back to receive his church unto himself and take us home to heaven, he's coming with blessing in mind. Now, who's he dealing with when he comes back in the Revelation? Exactly. He's dealing, he's dealing with those who have chose to again and again and again time upon time upon time reject the message of the gospel even throughout the time of tribulation. So he's coming back to an unrepentant, unbelieving world and he's coming back in vengeance. Listen, uh, the, the same Jesus who came the first time as a baby in a manger, the same Jesus who came back as the suffering, who came as the suffering Savior who died upon the cross will one day come back As the line of the tribe of Judah, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to this earth. That's the picture. That's the message that's being preached here in Revelation chapter number 19. And so there's a lot of differences between the rapture and the revelation. If we get those two confused, this really ain't gonna make a whole lot of sense to us. Now then, I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus, His second coming, is going to be visible for all to see. Look what it says in Revelation chapter number 19, starting in verse number 11. It says, and I saw heaven open. John is going to see the revelation. John is going to see the second coming of the Lord Jesus, and I beheld a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doeth judge and make more, make war. So according to Revelation nineteen eleven, we know John is going to see these things take place. Now, is John the only one? Of course not. Go all the way back with me. Keep your place there in Revelation chapter nineteen, and go back with me to Revelation chapter number one. Revelation chapter one. And let's look down at verse number 7. John writes in verse number 7 of chapter 1, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye. Everybody say every eye. And every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. Now who are the ones who pierced him? Well, that's the Roman soldiers at the cross. They are going to see him, the Bible says. And all the kindreds of the earth. That's every tribe, every nation, every tongue. All the peoples of the earth are going to see him. And well, because of him, even so, amen. Now again, I don't know how all that's going to take place. How is it possible that when Jesus comes again at his second coming, and we know that's in the future from this day, it's no less than seven years from the rapture of the church, and we ain't been raptured yet. As the church, so it's still a long ways in the future, how is it possible that even those who pierce Jesus will see Him at His second coming? I don't know the answer to that, but I know that's what God's Word says. God's Word tells us that His second coming will be visible for all to see. Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter number 24. Jesus is speaking there of His second coming, and He says in the 27th verse something that makes sense to all of us. Matthew 24, verse number 27, He says, "...For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west..." So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, how many of you have been sitting in your house in a dark night and, and all of a sudden it lightens outside, and the lightning from the outside even lights up what's going on on the inside? Has that ever happened to you? Well, that's the picture Jesus is painting for us here in Matthew chapter 24. He's, he is saying that when he comes back in his second coming, it's going to be like a flash of lightning, that it's going to be seen from the east all the way to the, to the west. That means all over this world, people are going to know that Jesus is coming. They are going to see him face to face. And so let's go back to Revelation chapter number 19. What are they going to see? What do we need to see? from the pages of Scripture here in the 19th chapter. First of all, I want us to see His name. And he gives the, the Bible gives us here three names of the Lord Jesus. First of all, it says in verse number 11, His name will be faithful and true. Now, how many of you believe that's a good name for the Lord Jesus? Let me tell you, I believe that's a great name for the Lord Jesus. And I believe that because He's always been faithful to me. Now, how many of you tonight can testify to the fact that Jesus has been faithful in every situation? How many you know in good times, He's faithful? In bad times, He's faithful. In uncertain times, He's faithful. In certain times, He's faithful. Listen to me, folks. He's always faithful. In Numbers chapter number 23, Nathan, if you will, brother, put this up for us. Numbers 23, 19, one of my absolute favorite verses of Scripture. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is not like a man. I love this. God is not a man that he should lie. Now, what's that mean? Now, folks, how many of you know we all in this flesh? I'm in this flesh, you're in this flesh. we all were born with this sinful nature that we're continually trying to die to. I'm continually trying to die to this flesh so that I might walk in the Spirit and be pleasing unto the Lord and be a help to the people that are around me. But the truth is, we're all still in this flesh, and as long as we're in this flesh, we're imperfect. And the Bible says that God is not like a man. Now what's that mean for us? Because I'm imperfect, because I still have faults and failures, because I don't do just like I need to do all the time. That just makes me a man. That makes you a man or a woman of mankind. The truth is, folks, I want to let my yes be yes. I want to walk with integrity. I want to let my no be no. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I want to do it. Amen? Amen. If I tell you I'm going to be there, I want to be there. But the truth is, folks, me being a man who is still imperfect in this flesh, Sometimes when I tell you I'm going to do it, I might not do it. I'll fail you. Don't put your trust in man. Don't put your hope in man. Because man on his best day can and will fail you. Each and every one of us will. But now the Bible says that's not like God. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Let me tell you what the Bible is teaching. What God says you can trust in. What God says you can believe in. What God says you can build your life upon. What God says you don't have to wonder about. He's not like a man that he lies. He's not like a man that he don't do what he says he's going to do. God is holy and righteous and just. God is perfect in all his ways. And when he tells you he's going to do something, he's going to do it. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. And I'll tell you why. There are over 7,000 promises on the pages of Scripture for the people of God. And for those who have called upon the name of Jesus and been saved, we can say yes and amen to every one of those promises. If God promises that He'll never leave me and never forsake me, that's exactly what He's going to do. He's going to stick with me thick and thin. If God promises that He shall supply all my needs according to His riches in glory, I can trust in that, because when God says it, He's going to do it. When God promises that no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper, I can trust in that, because God said it and He's going to do it. He's faithful. The scripture says in Psalms, I love this one, 36 and 5, that the faithfulness of God reaches to the clouds. It's immeasurable. In Lamentations chapter number 3, verses 22 and verse 23, the Bible says that great is the faithfulness of our God. Now listen folks, I don't know about you, but I am so very thankful tonight. That the faithfulness of God is not dependent upon my performance. But the faithfulness of God is dependent upon His character that is outlined for us in the Word of God. Amen. See, God is not faithful to me because I'm always faithful to Him. God's faithful to me because His Word says He's going to be faithful and He's true to His Word. God does walk with character. God does walk with integrity. He is going to be faithful no matter what. We can always trust in Him no matter what's going on in our lives. He is faithful, but how many know He's also true? Jesus said in John 14, verse number 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He didn't say I'm a way. He didn't say I'm a truth. He didn't say I'm a way of life, did He? No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means he he leaves out any other options. If you want to know the way to the Father, it's through the Lord Jesus. If you want to know how life is to be lived, it's found in Christ. If you want life from your spiritual deadness, if you want victory over physical death, it's found in Jesus. He is the life. but He's also the truth. He is the epitome of truth. If you want to know what truth is, it's found in Christ. If you want to know how life is to be lived, it's found in Jesus. I I gave you a quote Sunday night from C.S. Lewis that I absolutely love. And he said, I believe in Christianity just like I believe in the sun. Not just because I can see it, but by it I can see everything else. And so what he's saying is this, listen, it's because of his relationship with Jesus that everything else is coming into focus. Life begins to make sense. Why? Because he's got a hold of the truth, that truth that is found in Jesus. So when the Bible says he is faithful and true, it's exactly what it means. He keeps his promises. Truth is found in him. But it also says, not only is he faithful and true, but it says in verse 13, he's the word of God. John chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and what anything made that was made, unless it was made by Him. John 1:14 says, The, the Word became flesh. And what did it do? It dwelt among us, it lived among us. Jesus was the incarnation of God in the flesh and dwelt upon this earth. He is the Word of God. What does that mean? The Word of God is pure. Can you say amen to that? It's undefiled. Jesus came here born perfectly by the seed of the Holy Spirit and lived perfectly for 33 and a half years and then went to a cross and became the sacrificial Lamb of God that took upon Himself the sin of the world. He was born perfect, He lived perfect, He died perfect for you and for me. He's pure, but the Word of God is also all-powerful. How many of you understand that it was through the Word of God that the worlds were framed, the Bible says? It was through the Word of God that, listen, light came from darkness. The seas and the, uh, and, the, and the dry land were separated by God's Word. All of creation took place by the Word of the living God. So not only is the Word of God pure, but the Word of God is all-powerful. So what's that say about Jesus? It says He's pure. It says He's all-powerful. He's the Word of God. But then it says something else. He's also... According to verse 16, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not some king. He's not a king. He's the king. He's my king. He's our king, if you're a child of God tonight, and he is in complete control of this universe. The scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, Brother, if you will put this up, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 15, the Apostle Paul says something to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, I love this word, it's one of my favorite Bible words, 1 Timothy 6.15, that, let's just start with verse Timothy chapter number 6 and Verse number 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep his commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says something in verse 15 I love. He says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed, watch this now, and only potentate. Jesus, being the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the only potentate. The one who is the potentate has supreme authority and power. And so the Bible says Jesus is King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He is the potentate, the one who has supreme authority and power, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I want to read to you something that Dr. Harry Ironside said concerning these three names. He said in these three names that the the Word of God has encompassed for us the entire ministry of the Lord Jesus. He says His eternity in the past, that speaks of Him being faithful and true. His incarnation when He walked upon this earth, we know He was the incarnate Word of God. The God in the flesh, the Son of God and God the Son. And his sovereign coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So right here in Revelation 19, in these last uh, 10, 11 verses, we see the whole ministry of Jesus coming to its fruition. We see everything being fulfilled as far as Christ is concerned. He's faithful and true. He's the word of God. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And the Bible says he's coming again and everybody's going to see him. That's his names. But also notice how he looks. It says in verse number 11, or excuse me, in verse number 12, that his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now, what does it mean that the eyes of Jesus were like a flame of fire? Well, let me say this, folks. How many of you believe tonight that fire penetrates? I I, I love to sit around a fire. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I told you the story. I built my wife a fire pit for Mother's Day, and I use the fire pit much more than she ever does. I'm always out there. I love to build a fire. Let me tell you what I've noticed about a fire. You can build your fire and get it going good. You can take your log and put that log in the fire. And before long, something changes. You put the log in the fire, but after a while, that fire is in the log. You know why? Because fire penetrates. So what does it mean that the eyes of Jesus is like a flame of fire? I believe it means that it penetrates deep down into the hearts and minds of men, women, boys and girls. He looks deep down and burns away all that is untrue. All that is not pleasing unto him. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. We've talked about this several times. When the, the in, in in the book of Revelation, when it says many crowns, it speaks of power of authority. And, and so, and when it says that the head of Jesus had many crowns, it means that he is in complete sovereign control. Again, he is the potentate. Then it says something else. Not only does he have a crown on his head, many crowns, but he also has a name written. That no man knew but he himself. There's a mystery here that we won't know until that day. But there's a name written, a mysterious name, and he was clothed. And it says and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Now, what is this blood that his vesture is dipped in? A lot of people say it's the blood of his enemies, but I don't believe that's. that's not, I don't think that's what it's talking about here. I think the vesture dipped in blood speaks of his blood that was shed on the cross. Because how many of you know, folks? Listen to me now. The blood that was shed on the cross is what enabled all of this to take place. Without the blood, there is no hope. Without the blood, there is no purpose. So there's a vesture dipped in blood, and then it says, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in linen, white and clean, which speaks of the righteousness of the saints, the righteousness that has been imputed on our behalf by the Lord Jesus. And so, first of all, his coming will be visible for everybody. But I also want you to know his coming is going to be victorious. How do we know that? Well, first of all, it says in verse number 11, he rides in on a white horse. And that white horse is a symbol of honor and glory and victory. And that day, that's exactly what it meant for a king to ride in on a white horse meant he was coming in as the conquering king. Now I want you to think about something. You remember when Jesus went to be crucified in Jerusalem. The Bible says that he rode into the city of Jerusalem as a fulfillment of Scripture on a donkey. And all the people laid down the palm branches in His way and said, Hail Him! Hail Him! And other same people a week later that were hollering, Hail Him! Hosanna to the King! Were yelling, Crucify Him at the cross. So things changed a great deal. Now I want you to know that suffering Savior that rode into Jerusalem the first time on a donkey will ride back on a great white horse Symbolizing victory over all his enemies. And the good news is, we'll be riding with him. The Bible says that the armies of heaven will follow Jesus on our own white horse. I've never been much of a horseman. But there's coming a day when I'm riding from heaven on a horse with Jesus. And I think that's pretty awesome. Folks, listen to me. I get sick and tired of people portraying this sissified Jesus. This Jesus that it's hard for me to follow. That's not my Jesus. This is my Jesus. He's got eyes like a flame of fire. He's riding in victory on his white horse. He's coming from heaven to set right on earth what the enemy and sin has set wrong. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I'll be with him. Not because of who I am. But because of the blood shed for me. It's amazing. He's coming back in victory. He's coming back to accomplish the goodwill and purpose of God the Father. The Bible says that he gains victory in verse number 15 by the word that comes from his mouth. Now, I always... I think it was Dr. Jeremiah that said something that I love. He said, you know, you got all these armies of the whole world that's gathered now in at Armageddon, in, in the valley of Megiddo. And, and so they're all there, and they've got all their weapons ready, and they're ready to make war against the God of heaven. And here comes Jesus riding in on his white horse. And the fight takes little more than the speaking of a word. The word comes from the mouth of Jesus and all of the armies are completely destroyed. Isn't that amazing? How is that possible? Again, because he's all-powerful, because he's the potentate, because he has supreme authority in all the world. And so the Bible says in verse number 15, that out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. So we see that His second coming will be visible for all to see. His second coming will be victorious. Um, And we know that because uh, of the crown on His head, the vesture that He's wearing. We know that because of the word that comes out of His mouth according to verse number 15. But His second coming will also be a time of vengeance. It says that He will rule with a rod of iron. He will judge those who have completely and totally turned their back on him. And the, and the winepress, and it says he will tread the wine, he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness, of the wrath of Almighty God. I read something this week from Dr. Adrian Rogers that I love. It said that uh, the waters of the wrath of God is being held back by the dam of God's mercy. And those waters are continually beating upon the dam until one day that dam of mercy is going to break and the waters of the wrath of God is going to flood upon this earth. Folks, that day is coming. And in the second coming of the Lord Jesus, all of that is going to be finished. It's an amazing thing. It will be vengeful. It'll be visible. It'll be victorious. What does that mean for us today though? I don't ever want us just to think about these things as being something that's coming in the future. But how does this impact my life right now? What does it mean for me and you? And I'll just wrote down a few things. First of all, we need to learn of His coming. We need to learn what God says of when He comes and how He comes and why He comes. We need to take note of what we're reading about on the pages of Scripture and let these things sink in. We need to look for His coming. We don't just need to learn of it, but look for it. Because how many of you know the Bible says, "Our our redemption draws nigh. Can you say amen? It's to the hills from where we... Uh, look for our help and so we look for his coming we know that he is coming again according to the truth of the word of God so even though the scoffers may scoff and say why did not he come yet and it's been 2,000 years and everybody's been preaching of his coming uh, and he had to, folks don't worry about all that God comes in his own time and we ought to be looking for him we're to learn of his coming we're to look of his coming we're to long for his coming I say even so come Lord Jesus Folks, let me say something to you. All of this that we see in our world, all the wrong that we see day by day, I don't know about you, but I get sick of it. Do you realize that in the United States of America, we have joined with China and North Korea and about five other nations in saying it's okay to kill a baby after 20 weeks of pregnancy? That's been that way for a long time. A lot of people um, want abortion on demand at any time. But now we just found out in recent months that, um, which really what we all as believers knew according to Scripture, that that baby in the womb at 20 weeks feels the pain of the abortion. As a matter of fact, they have, I watched some this week, they have video, sonogram video of, Uh, The baby's actually moving away from the instruments that come in to tear them limb from limb after 20 weeks. Seven nations across the world say it's okay for a baby to be aborted after 20 weeks of pregnancy. This week, we had the opportunity in the United States Senate to vote against that and to end that practice. And we couldn't even get enough votes. We needed 60 and we got 51. 51 for it, 46 against it. And now, the good old U.S. of A. has joined people like China and North Korea. That's a group to be in, isn't it? In saying that abortion is legal even past 20 weeks. When we knew, according to science, their own scientists, that the baby felt pain in doing so. I don't know about you, I long for His coming. I long for the day when righteousness will reign and rule upon the earth. And that's only going to happen through the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We need to learn of His coming and look for His coming and long for His coming. Well, let me say something else. We ought to live for His coming. We're to live tonight just like Jesus is coming in the morning. And we're to live in the morning just like Jesus is coming tomorrow evening. Let's live for him day by day because that's really what makes all the difference in our lives and the, and the lives of people that we're around day in and day out, whether that be at our home or our church or our workplace or school, wherever. It will be visible. It will be victorious. and It will be vengeful. We need to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions? Any prayer requests tonight?